0: Hi, I'm Brandon Martini, a commercial pilot and flight instructor.
1: And I'm Carson Vasquez. I'm a private pilot.
0: And you're listening to the Aviation Mentors Podcast, sponsored by Stratus Financial.
1: So buckle up, because the Aviation Mentors are taking off.
0: So we know a lot of people have had questions about what what it kind of takes to overcome on your path from going from zero to hero or... Uh, Being a student pilot, all the way going up to commercial pilot, CFI, double I, MEI, so on and so forth. Uh, So today, Carson's got some questions, and I'm going to answer them on what it's taken me to go from my path from a student pilot to four different commercial pilot ratings. And I've done all the training for ATP. I just haven't taken my written and check ride yet. So uh, as of today, I've got commercial pilot and single engine uh, LAN, single engine C, multi engine LAN, multi engine C cfi double i and mei so i can train in anything under that doesn't need a a type rating so we'll talk a little bit about that today
1: yeah and uh, one of the things i love about brand is that the bottom of his email lists all of his ratings and every time he adds on to it his email gets just a little bit longer
0: <laughs> yeah i do it on purpose because uh i think it's hilarious
1: <laughs> and, uh, and every time he adds on to it i'm like oh there's another one so proud of him <laughs> Thanks. So aside from your fear heights as a student pilot, what challenges did you, uh, did you face and overcome?
0: Uh, The biggest one was probably the written test um, in not just as being a a brand new student pilot, but in every single rating I've, I've had to take Uh, the written tests are just horrible for me and studying. I was never good in school. I was more a straight C and sometimes a B student. I was never that straight A student. Uh, I've never been good with school, except for maybe in elementary school or something a long time ago. But uh, I never liked studying. I never liked school. I never liked any of those things. So it's really funny that uh, I have a lot of experience now in in aviation schools. Uh, it kind of comes full circle. And uh, in my past life, when I was a, an insurance adjuster, uh, I did all paperwork and homework for a living. So it's really weird. The stuff that you hated in school, you end up having to do in real life. Uh, so that was probably my biggest challenge was was studying. I didn't know how to study uh, because I think in in school, they don't teach you necessarily how to study. Um, They just teach you how to, I don't know, pass a test or do your homework. And uh, so I had a real trouble with studying. And uh, because of that, I think I got a 71 on my private pilot written. Um, Guess what? It didn't matter. A pass was a pass. Um, So just like if you take your check right, a pass is a pass. No one's going to ever ask you in an interview, oh, did you get a 95 on your written? That's just not going to happen. So I would say that that was my my biggest challenge I ever had to overcome.
1: And uh, and I can speak to that. Just you know, I was a student pilot once. so I'm a private pilot now. I don't have all the ratings Brandon does, but I've had those two. And when I was a student pilot, um, I got really in my head about taking the written exam, and it just it psyched me out. I, I was afraid to, to do poorly on it and to pay money to do poorly on it. Um, and it actually convinced me to uh, just study more and, and study harder, and really just learn what kind of worked for me, because like you said, in school, it's not something they taught you, but when it comes to this, it's something you have to learn. You have to learn how to study for yourself. Uh, Especially if you're on this path from zero to hero, you're going to be doing these written exams six, seven times. So you might as well put in the effort to see what works for you early on. hundred percent. And Brandon, once you got your private pilot license, everyone calls it the license to learn. Uh, I know you've called it that to me a couple of times. And what did you, what did you learn as a private pilot? What, where did you start learning and what did you overcome on your way to instrument?
0: Yeah, when I got my private pilot certificate, and it is called a certificate and a license for all those those smart alecks that, that say, hey, it's not a license. FAA calls it both. So just to clear that up, you can go on their website and you can see it. Uh, but lessons I've learned, I've learned a whole lot of lessons. I've learned about what real weather looks like across the U.S. On so my first trip to Oshkosh back in uh, 2015 or 16, um, I learned all sorts of things like that. Um, I learned what it's like to go to an airport that's unfamiliar, how to look for an airport and find it in the middle of nowhere or in the middle of a big city. Those are all, all challenges that, are, that you don't really think about as a private pilot because when you're learning to become a private pilot, you go out and you go from point A to point B, either your local airport or the planned cross country that you've probably already went with your CFI once or twice before. So getting out in the real world and and finding out these things about yourself and then also what your limitations are. I mean, your personal limitations on a, as a brand new private are probably fairly limiting. Um, And I know Carson's limitations are probably a lot different than mine on, on where I would go and what I would do and what my visibility would be. I mean, I'm okay with flying IFR or flying um, VFR minimums, but I can't speak for Carson, but I'm assuming you probably wouldn't fly VFR minimums because, to be honest, you can't see. So um, I've I've learned a lot of things like that. And uh, that's kind of what I've done with my license to learn.
1: Yeah, I think uh, both myself and the FA are not okay with me flying uh, anything around VFR minimums. <laughs> and
0: No, legally you can fly VFR minimums, but nothing less than that, obviously.
1: <laughs> not, nothing less. No, it's, it's too close for my comfort for sure, uh, which is actually why I'm working on my instrument rating. And speaking of, what hurdles did you overcome or, or face that I can expect in my training? And a lot of people were kind of instrument face.
0: Well, I failed that uh, written twice. Uh, so I, I talked about <laughs> my difficulties with written. Uh, that was a big difficulty. Um, I did a lot of training in my own, my own airplane. Um, I bought my first airplane and I did a lot of my IFR training in it. And I, I could not understand charts. And I just, uh, IFR was a lot harder for me than I thought it was going to be. Uh, private pilot was relatively easy for me. I got it at a really low hour. got it close to the minimum mark. Uh, But becoming an instrument-rated pilot, I did not do at the minimum mark. It was a lot more challenging for me. And I thought because getting my private pilot was not necessarily easy for me, but a lot easier than it is for a lot of people, I thought, oh, uh, IFR is going to be real simple for me. And it wasn't. I don't think I got my IFR for like 100 hours after I got my private. And I got my private at like 41 so it was really a struggle. Uh, I did not think it would be that that hard. Uh, I remember flying with a friend of mine. His name was Diego, and I did private pilot training with him. And we went up north, and at night we were flying back, and it's pitch pitch dark outside, but it was VFR conditions. And I remember feeling disoriented, like the plane was making a left turn, so much so that my entire body was leaning against the door to the left, like really, really badly. And that was a big challenge. I had to hand him the controls and that wasn't even IFR. That was just pitch black, dark with the ocean on one side. And we were near Santa Barbara somewhere, I think. And that was kind of a big eye-opening lesson for me. And since then, I've learned to, to deal with, with those fake, uh, I don't know what you'd call them, but, but different thoughts in your head or, or responding to how your body is, is coping with the environment that you're in. So those have been some challenges with, with getting my IFR rating and, and I'm really happy that it's, I've gotten it and I prefer not to fly hard IFR because I don't fly a lot of it in Southern California, uh, but I can fly IFR and I am current and capable, but uh, flying in clouds where you can't see anything is not my favorite thing to do, but I have no problem doing it if I have.
1: To. Yeah. Uh, I was flying with one of my instructors and we took off out of Palomar and ended up having that same thing over the ocean nighttime, dark on both sides. Uh, you know how it is coming out of Palomar at night. And it's, it's a little bit, yo, not nothing. And, uh, I, I started, he said, okay, give me a, give me a slight right turn. You know, just go parallel with the, with the beach. And so I started flying and, uh, sure enough, he let me just keep turning and turning and turning and he just started tapping on, <laughs> tapping on my instruments. So he started tapping on like three different ones. And I was like, what's going on? He's like, you're losing altitude. You're turning way too far to the right. He's like, you're, he's like, you're climbing, descending all over. And that's kind of what made me start working on my instrument um, realizing that I want to be able to, to fly a little bit better and improve myself. And a lot of people want to improve themselves even beyond instrument. And I think a lot of people stop when they fly for a hobby. They usually stop around instrument before commercial. So what was your drive to go to commercial and what did you learn from it?
0: My drive to go to commercial was actually, everyone told me that my insurance rate on my airplane would go down if I had a commercial rating. Uh, I don't remember if it actually did, to be honest, Uh, but that was my whole motivation. I was like, I want to get my commercial because I think my insurance rate will go down on my one airplane that I own. Um, And my rate in retrospect was actually pretty low. I think it was only like $800 a year. Uh, It's quite a bit more nowadays, but uh, because rates have just gone up, but that was my initial reason. That's why I wanted to go to commercial and I do have my son, Austin, and I told myself eventually when he gets older, maybe I'll get my CFI. That way I can train him and he can have a log book. And if he enjoys flying, like later on in life, he'll be able to have hours and, and he could finish his ratings a little earlier. Maybe he can be uh, like our friend, Matt, who, who got his ATB at 21. So anything's possible. And, uh, and I just decided I would go for it and I enjoy flying. I had all the required hours at that point. I didn't go really fast to get my commercial. I just, I went slow and steady. Whenever I get there, I get there. And once I got there, I said, okay, I'll go do my training for the commercial rating. And, and, uh, and I passed it. But during that check ride, it's a kind of a funny story. Um, I have a lightspeed Tango headset, which I've now given to Austin. And the Lightspeed Tango is a wireless headset and, and it came out maybe five years ago or so. And I was one of the first people that got it. I was super excited because I hate cords in cockpits and I hate cockpit clutter. So I got this Lightspeed Tango and I'm normally really good about charging its batteries. Uh, but for some reason, I did not charge the batteries or the battery didn't charge the night before on the, when I put it on. And my headset died while I was in the run-up area. About to take off on my commercial check ride, and it was a nightmare, and I had to tell the the DP hold on for a second, my headset died, and I had this little cable that basically makes it a non ANR headset and makes it like the worst headset you've ever heard. Uh, so I did my entire commercial check ride, barely able to hear ATC, barely able to hear my DPE and just hearing loud engine noise out of an arrow it was horrible now luckily people can don't even have to do it in the complex airplane anymore i had to
1: it's okay the radio went out on my private pilot check ride the first time around so that's funny <laughs> that wasn't fixable with the core. no it
0: wasn't fixable with the core. that's <laughs> hilarious
1: um and a lot of people after commercial they you know they want to do something there's, there's a couple different routes they can go and a pretty common one is going to cfi and i feel like being around flight training so much i i've realized what a big accomplishment is to become a cfi and what a big change that CFIs see in themselves over the course of their teaching. Uh, so what did you struggle with with becoming a CFI as a CFI? And how do you think that your teaching has changed over the years of you being a CFI?
0: Yeah, I would say that becoming a CFI was really difficult for me. Uh, as I said earlier, I'm not good at studying. Uh, to become a CFI, you have to kind of know a, a little bit about everything and a lot of bit about some things. Uh, which I knew a a little bit about almost everything, but I mean, aerodynamics and, and things like that kind of threw me for a loop and it was, it was challenging. So I didn't know how to study. I tried doing online ground schools. I tried doing in-person stuff. I tried all sorts of stuff like that, but I found out the only thing that would work for me is if I, I did, I went a very unorthodox way to get my CFI because I know how my brain works. And if I don't just look at everything and read everything and Kind of skim through every piece of information I can possibly get my hands on, and anything I don't know anything about, I just I read more in depth. So I literally took every single ASA book I could find. I mean the the Pilot's Handbook of Aeronautical Knowledge, the P-Hack, uh, the Airplane Flying Handbook, the every single aviation weather book, you name it, I took it. I I also took an entire FAR AIM. Uh, all the books. I took every single one and I literally read or skimmed depending on what it was every single page of every book. Uh, and it took me about 45 days and I was really into it every day. I would spend like an hour every day just reading and studying. And then I would do some stuff with different CFI friends of mine and I would talk to them and, and see what curveball questions they can give me or, or curveballs that they've gotten themselves in the past. And that's how I ended up studying for my CFI. Uh, after I became a CFI, uh, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about patience. I learned a lot about teaching. Um, I learned that I absolutely had no idea what I was doing. Uh, The first hour that I was teaching as a CFI really knew nothing. Uh, I thought, oh, it's easy. You just show somebody how to do something. No, you have to get into the psychology of a student and think about like, what's motivating them to do this? And how do I get them past this hurdle uh, that they may be having to overcome and when do i have to trust my instincts on when somebody's ready to solo or do a solo cross country or things like that it's it was a real challenge for me now it's a little bit easier but it's still challenging with some students and but it's fun and it's rewarding seeing seeing people grow up into into different phases of a pilot and you learn over time on how to teach certain students with certain personalities in a certain way which I had no idea that that was even a thing before I became a CFI. I mean, it's just not something you need to know.
1: Yeah. That's one of the crazy things. Um, when I you know, started studying what goes into a CFI, you know, I'm not, I'm not there yet, but I was going into you know what they have to do to become one. And I realized that you know, my mom's a teacher. She's been a teacher for like 20 years and you're making someone who just wants to fly into someone who's teaching other people how to fly and, and allowing them to fly on their own and being able to do all these endorsements. And it's just so complicated and there's so much that goes into it. And I think that when I met you, you were just earning your, uh, your CFII, your instrument instructor, and you're working on that. How did that compare to earning your CFI?
0: Yeah, so in between my CFI and double, I actually went kind of unorthodox route. as I, I got my Emmy my multi-engine instructor rating uh, because I fly a lot of multi-engine airplanes, so I figured that would just kind of open up the world a little bit more. Uh, So I did that first, and that was a lot of fun. I really like multi-engine aerodynamics. It's probably my favorite thing to teach um, rather than teaching landings or something like that. Multi-engine aerodynamics is just fun. Uh, Plus, you get an extra engine. Plus, it's really, really fun. And I did this to Carson one time. Uh, I turned off an engine uh, midair, uh, and seeing a student's face the first time when you turn off a motor in the, in the sky, uh, while teaching them how to fly on one engine is absolutely exhilarating for the flight instructor. So how did you like that? The first time I did it,
1: I was terrified. I've I've only flown a plane with one engine before that. And that was the first time I've ever been a multi-engine. And he said, okay, just, just trust me. And I said, okay, absolutely. Trust you. You Obviously you're, you're my instructor. I trust you. Um, And then for about two minutes, I did not trust this man at all. I was like, he just turned off the engine. It went where to go. I was freaking out.
0: (laughs) I I had a really, I had a really, (laughs) yeah, I had a really similar, similar process when my instructor, uh, his name was Andy at a Chino airport. He turned off, uh, turned off the motor with me in the airplane. And I said, are you sure we actually have to do this? Like, is this required or can we just do simulated? Like this can't be required. The FAA can't want us to actually turn off an engine in the air. Right. It was like, nope they want us to i said okay let's do it and now now it's my favorite thing to do it's absolutely exhilarating but uh
1: yeah, I like we, i was like we could just power back right we could we have to turn it off and no turn no it
0: off. off and feathered so
1: <laughs> and feathered, and yeah. feathered.
0: <laughs> but yeah when we did meet i think i was yeah, getting my cf double i um it took me a little while because you have to take another written for that and uh multi engine I didn't have to take a written so I was all about that. No writtens was perfect for me. Uh, so I did get my CF double after I got my written done and uh, that check ride was, I wouldn't say was easy, but it was definitely one of the ones I was more relaxed about because I already had the experience of two other instructor check rides. I knew how they worked. Um, I knew how to fly instrument pretty well. It was a little and I knew how to teach. So it was a lot more relaxing I think than the other ones. Uh, so it went really good and uh, I really enjoyed getting my CF double eye. I really don't like flying under the hood anymore. So I think that was kind of my biggest motivation to, to finish up that rating. Cause I don't, I'm tired of flying under the hood. Uh, I just, I can't stand flying under the hood. I don't mind flying in clouds, but under the hood, it just, it, it bothers me. Uh, some people love it though. And uh, good for them. You, you just have to, you have to like what you like.
1: Oh, I hate flying under the hood. Um, I got my 40 hours for instrument under the hood. And, uh, I don't want to put a hood on again. I think I did those 40 hours in a row too. So I've, I've tapped out on hood time and, um,
0: I did the same thing. Um, when I was doing my, my instrument rating too, I just, I went all out on getting all those, those, that hood time and cross country hood time where I didn't even look outside for 40 or 50 hours. It was a nightmare.
1: Yeah, I, I had to take a fun flight, and uh, I think I took my mom and sister over to Disneyland, and we went and flew around there just because I wanted to see the ground again.
0: <laughs> that was <is> pretty funny. <laughs> um,
1: so so that's all your all your land ratings. Uh, we'll we'll end with ATP. But I want to know what made you so interested in seaplanes. Yeah, you know, we talk about the icon every episode. We have to, and. <laughs> what made you, what got you into it? What got you interested in it?
0: So I, I really like boats. Um, I've loved boats for a really long time. Um, my family has always had a boat normally at the river or something when I was growing up. Uh, so I love boats and seaplanes just look so majestic to me. I mean, if you see a plane landing on the water, it just looks amazing. Um, so I've always wanted to do seaplanes and one day I was looking up seaplane training and I was driving around and I called this guy from uh, uh, Lake Havasu seaplane. His name was Mo Martin. And I talked to Mo and he was an older guy uh, from back East. And he comes out here just in the winter and snowbirds it out, out in uh, in Lake Havasu and does seaplane ratings. And I said, Hey Mo, I want to, I want to do this seaplane rating with you. And he said, Hey, I've got this, this, and this date available. So we make it available or he makes, he makes the airplane available in himself and, And, uh, I set it up and I go there for three or four days and I do the training and I do the check ride and I just had an absolute blast getting my single engine seaplane. Uh, and it kind of just made me fall in love with being on the water and the first time landing on the water was exhilarating, just didn't feel natural. And, uh, and that's kind of why, why I did that. And then I got my multi-engine seaplane in Sebring, Florida, uh, a few couple, three years ago. I'm not sure. Uh. But I got it in Sebring, Florida, and I did it uh, in an air cam uh, on floats or on amphibs. And that was just a really neat airplane to fly because that was one of the first airplanes I flew with Rotax motors. And I didn't realize how capable that airplane was, even on a single engine. I mean, we didn't do it, but it has the capability to pretty much like take off with one engine. Uh, it's It's a crazy machine. It's really, really a neat airplane and we were flying in, in pretty crazy crosswinds in Florida. And I just had a time of my life. And then I went to Jack Brown seaplane and we ended up doing my, uh, my check ride with, uh, one of the, the owners. Um, uh, I I don't know his first name, but I know his last name was Brown. So he had to have been one of the owners or, or founders or something like that, but he was a really neat guy to fly with. And, uh, and we we talked before and after on kind of what our passions were in in seaplane flying and and he was just a joy to talk with so uh, there's not too much difference between single engine and multi engine sea, to be honest except for the multi engine aerodynamics uh, really and uh, and that I'm used to to teaching and and flying on on land based airplanes so
1: and I really didn't understand what the whole interest was in seaplanes um, I I'd seen them I'd seen pictures of them. But there's, there's nowhere in Southern California, almost nowhere at least, that you can go and get your seaplane rating. Um, and it wasn't until we went to to um, AirVenture this year and we went to the seaplane base that I, I wanted to go and get my seaplane. It made me so excited to go get it. Just watching the planes taxi on the water, uh, it was incredible. It, you have an airplane on water. It was It was something that I understand the majestic thing. It just looked amazing to watch.
0: You know what? you you asked me what got me so interested. I bet you kind of subconsciously or maybe consciously, uh, that seaplane base was probably the the catalyst for me actually pulling the trigger and going getting my seaplane because Oshkosh is, is the end of uh, uh, end of July, and I think I scheduled my seaplane rating a month or two after that um, in Lake Havasu. So it was probably the main catalyst on me getting that seaplane rating was going to Oshkosh and seeing the seaplane base, which was phenomenal. I mean, anybody who's never been there, I would say that that is the number one thing to go see at Oshkosh, whoever goes to Oshkosh. Uh, you can go for $5 and go take the little bus over there, or take an Uber, whatever you got to do, but you must go to the seaplane uh, base. It's the coolest part of Oshkosh, at least in my humble opinion.
1: Yeah, it was my first Oshkosh, and I, I agree. It was definitely one of the coolest things I'd seen the whole weekend, whole week, and. Um, You know, another thing that, that I like to joke with you about is you have pretty much every, every rating except for uh, like celestial navigation (laughs) and, and apparently except for your actual ATP rating, but you've done the training for it. So what was that training like? Yeah. So
0: I've done the ATP CTP course. I did that in Dallas, Texas, and uh, I think it was about a week long that I was there. Um, I'm not a big fan of dressing, dressing real fancy, but I had to be dressed all fancy that whole week. Um, so besides that, uh, it was really fun.
1: No wonder we didn't get any pictures. Exactly. Of
0: it. <laughs> um, no, it was a lot of fun. I actually met a lot of people. I actually knew one guy from, uh, from Southern California before, um, we had mutual friends and we've seen each other before. Uh, so it was neat to kind of catch up with him and, and, uh, I learned a whole lot of things about jet aerodynamics that I had no idea about because I've just never been involved with, with that part of this industry. Um. Uh, and I met some really old school jet pilots that have been working for 30 years plus and things like that. It was really neat to hear some stories. And um, in the ATP training, they actually talk a lot about accidents and they talk about what caused them. And that's, I think what the, I wouldn't say the bulk of the training, but a good 50% of it or so is they talk about accidents and investigations and, and what caused different problems in the air and the reason why we have air directives or ADs on a lot of airplanes now, and what the airlines, what us as pilots and what our mechanics doing to keep us safe in the air now. So there's a reason why the US and really around the world, airplanes have an excellent safety record nowadays. And it's because of of all the regulations that have been put into place. I wasn't a big fan of, of different government regulations before I started flying. And now I feel like they're definitely needed. Um, especially in an industry like ours, uh, to keep the public safe. Um, a lot of people get cheap and you can't be cheap in aviation. You got to really kind of go for it uh, so we can save save people's lives. And uh, and that's really what the ATP was kind of about. Um, besides that, just kind of, we were also in a hub where, where pilots from all over the world come in Dallas and they go over to uh, to Dallas to do simulator training for recurrent training, similar to what um, our friend Matt was doing for his ATP. Uh, but they do that for recurrent training and even new hire training. And they go to all these different simulators for 737s and uh, Airbus A321, stuff like that. So I was just getting to meet a lot of the pilots in in just kind of the restaurant next door. We'd sit at the the bar area and we'd just be sharing stories and having a great time, just uh, just kind of talking with fellow pilots that are from all over the world. So that was a lot of fun too. And then I'd be reminisced if I wouldn't talk about doing the simulator training. I've never flown a, a full motion $30 million simulator before. And I flew an Airbus A321 and I flew a, a 737 sim and a CRJ sim. And those were a blast to fly. I flew them in the pilot seat and the co-pilot seat. And it it really feels real. I mean, you're in there. Everything's fairly realistic. Uh, The cockpit's identical. I mean, down to where the cup holder and the uh, goes in the airplane. I mean, it's realistic. And that was just a blast because it was probably the most challenging part too, because my sim partner, uh, he's flown bigger airplanes before, and he's used to more CRM with, with call outs and, and talking about rotation speeds. And, and I wasn't used to that because I fly all GA stuff. So I wasn't used to those callouts, and he was. So he would just be waiting for me on a callout before he would he would rotate. I wouldn't say V one at the right time, things like that. And it was it was challenging and a little bit frustrating to be honest, because I'm used to the guy that knows a whole lot about a lot of things, and I knew nothing about flying a CRJ or a 321 or a 73. So it was it was challenging, but a lot of fun. And uh, now that I'm done with that ATP training um all i have to do is i have to pass this written which i've been working on slowly but surely for the past few months and uh and then i will take a check ride in in one of the multi-engine planes but uh it's been a lot of fun
1: you know i think i'll just do what you did for my private and schedule it for you and uh and just tell you when you're going to go take it thanks a lot <laughs> and uh i think one of the things that we we haven't really talked about too much is do you have any other plans? Do you want to go and get a type rating, go and go and get a jet? What, what would you like to do?
0: So I actually got the sign off to, for my first type rating, uh, which is in a Grumman Albatross that I got to fly. And, uh, we'll do an episode on, on that whole day, one day soon for sure, because it was an exhilarating experience. But, uh, so I have the sign off. I just have to go, I have to go to the FISDO and, uh, and get that, uh, get that on my certificate. So I'll do that probably pretty soon. So I never really wanted to go get any, any bigger ratings, but I think that I want to now, uh, I want to, I want to fly bigger planes just because I want the opportunity. I would love to just fly a Gulfstream at some point. Uh, to be honest, I don't even know if I need the type rating. I just, I want to fly that. I I have flown an eclipse jet before. I don't have the type rating for that. Uh, but I've been kind of just in the, in the right seat on that and get, let me fly it a little bit. So I do like flying faster, more capable airplanes. I just think they'll they make it. So I'm still challenged. And in aviation, I feel like if you don't get constantly challenged, um, it kind of dries up a little bit and, and I don't like that. I want to keep on getting challenged. I want to go for the next thing. I want to, I want to be constantly learning. And, and as an aviator, you need to be constantly learning. And the moment that you're, that you stop constantly learning is the moment that, uh, that maybe it's not as enjoyable as it once was. And I don't want to lose that passion. So I'm always trying to look for the next thing to go do. And uh, whether it's flying a, a small seaplane or a big one like that Albatross or something like that, it's it's something that I have to continue on.
1: Yeah, I think that's something that's pretty exciting for me is I, I have so much room to learn still. And, you know, hearing all these people, even the, the people that go all the way up to the airlines and they say, you know, I don't want to forget myself as the little guy. Don't forget the little guys. Uh, they still fly GA. And, uh, and, and those are the guys that, that still want to be be part of remembering why they fly. And it all comes back to why we fly. And uh, I'm, I'm just excited. I have so much room to learn and so many things to learn. All these licenses to go and get. Um, you know, I have my license to learn. I'm still at the beginning of my whole journey.
0: Yeah, I mean, the license to learn is a real thing. And I tell everybody who's who's working on tr- on learning to fly. And they're kind of, they're at a crossroads. Like, oh, it's so hard. And there are going to be times where it's really hard and you, you don't remember what it's like when it was fun. Like when you're under the hood during your instrument rating for a whole bunch of hours and it's just kind of monotonous, uh, but you got to remember it's, it is fun. And I wish I can just go back to the days I was flight training because I met so many cool people and friends and, and we would study together and go get lunch and just talk about airplanes and flying. And what was this experience like and get a group of, of people together. And we all took all the airplanes and just went to, to go get lunch and go get steak sandwiches and Camarillo and, Um, that was one of the first times I got to fly IFR with, with another pilot. I wasn't even rated, but just things like that. Those are the things you miss in the camaraderie on learning to fly. And I'm sure, and I, you still get that in different aspects of aviation, no matter where you go. And I still get it now, but just then it was just really different. And uh, I do miss that. So everyone who's learning to fly, make sure you enjoy it and really think about it. I know there's a lot of, there's some, some really big giant pilot mill type flight schools that don't let you really enjoy flight training just remember it is fun learn to enjoy it it should be fun it should be a blast to do so that's what we try to try to do especially with like stratus financials partner schools all of them have you enjoy flying so
1: yeah and I, I think that's one of the best things about them and everyone just wants to enjoy flying that that's why we all got into it and that's why we keep doing it and you know the adventure from zero to hero is one that so many student pilots want to go on um, so many people that haven't even started flight training want to go on. And obviously, there's so many steps, hurdles, but there's also so many rewards on the path from you know the zero to hero and going from student pilot to ATP. And we're excited for all of you to have your own journey. So thank you so much for listening today as we went through Brandon's journey from uh, student pilot to almost ATP and uh, everything else in between that he has.
0: Yeah, thanks so much, Carson, for kind of interviewing me today. It was a lot of fun to uh, to talk on this in this way, and I love sharing kind of what I've what I've done and and my experiences. And hopefully, it'll inspire some other uh, new pilots or current pilots to to do some new things in their life and just continue on. But uh, so for today, if you'd like to reach out to either one of us, you can reach us at Twitter or Instagram. For me, it's ask at Mr. Martini Guy, or for Carson, it's at Carson underscore Av Seventeen.
1: As a wrap-up for the day, remember, here to guide you in your aviation journey. So fly safe and enjoy the ride.
0: Thanks, guys.